Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Diana Cannon Ragsdale, and she's an author, a retired physiotherapist, and a mental health advocate for survivors of abusive and dysfunctional families. Diana attended Utah State University on a dance scholarship, and then several years later, received her degree at the University of Utah. In retirement, she has dedicated herself to travel and creativity. Today, she lives happily in Salt Lake City and is married and a mother of five and a grandmother of eight. Loose Cannons is the title of her first book. Welcome, Diana. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. So can you share with us your journey along the way? I'd love to. My journey in, in writing my memoir is solely uh, the, the strict purpose of it was to organize the chaos that I had come to know in my life. I was born in utter chaos, and it was kind of a through line throughout my life. And I didn't really realize it until things started kind of spiraling out of control. And writing the book helped me organize that chaos and make sense of it all and make it feel very real. And I had to own up to a lot of stuff. So it's been very therapeutic for me. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to when you were a young child and this dysfunctional family was happening. Let's let's hear a little bit more about that. Okay. So, you know, my family, I love my family. Family's everything to me. Uh, unfortunately, there it's kind of a situation of multi-generational uh, mental illness. But when I was young, I didn't know that. Nobody talked about it. And, you know, we just didn't realize it. And I think part of that is just, you know, the times people didn't talk about things like that. But but also, I think there was a lot of, you know, just denial and chaos happening. So we were trying to survive. My parents were were born in Mormon kind of royalty. My last name is Cannon. And that's a big time Mormon name, and especially in Salt Lake City, Utah. So expectations are great. And when they married very young, they decided to leave the church and they pursued a very wild lifestyle. So they were partying and smoking, drinking and swinging. And it turns out that there were some consequences to that swinging. And so I write about that in the book. And uh, then we moved to Salt Lake uh, when I was two. And, you know, the swinging discontinued, but my parents or my mother continued to have an affair with one of the gentlemen that she was engaged with. So, so that's when they both became pretty sick and as far as their mental illness, they were both in and out of the psych ward. Most of my 
early, early childhood, we were left home alone to fend for ourselves a lot of the times. Thank goodness we had grandparents and aunts and uncles that lived nearby and they, they kind of checked on us periodically. But, but for the most part, us kids raised ourselves and we kind of became our own little family unit. Um, we relied on each other. We didn't really trust our parents, but we trusted each other. So I write about those experiences with, with the parents and their mental illness and how, you know, we've tried to just uh, accept it and also take the shame away from having a family of dysfunction and mental illness. So you became closer as a result of these problems that you were having in your family. Mm-hmm. We did. We were not a typical family where, you know, like even with my kids, they were always tattling on each other and trying to get each other in trouble. We were we were afraid of our parents and we didn't want to see anybody get punished or hurt. So we actually didn't tattle on each other and we kind of protected each other and we'd hide secrets from our parents of things that we were doing and had done because, you know, the the repercussions were pretty severe. My father was a pretty um, temperamental guy and uh, my mother was just checked out. She was depressed, but my father was fairly physically abusive. So we were all afraid of him and we just kind of formed our own little family unit and took care of each other. My brother used to grocery shop for us and make our lunches for school. And yeah, to this day, we're still very close. So how did you feel about your mother's sexual identity? Well, when I found out about it, I was not thrilled. I was pretty shocked. I didn't really learn about it until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And uh, one time she would come to visit me and she'd bring a partner with her. But this was back before, you know, things were very openly talked about and accepted in that community. And so I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I kind of assumed that maybe she had lesbian relationships, but we never talked about it. And I never asked until one day, my, my half sister asked me, do you think your mom's gay? And so we, we went to my stepmother, who is my mother's sister. (laughs) That's a whole nother story and asked her. And she said, yes. And she knew because the day my mother abandoned us all when we were eight years old, she actually left the psych ward with another woman. And that was her that was her lover. Interesting. So it was shocking. So how did this affect you growing up? Well, you know, we didn't really know our mother growing up. She'd kind of come in and visit once a year and take us to lunch and and leave again. So we didn't have a good relationship with her. Uh, when she'd come into town, we were cordial and polite because that's what we were instructed to do. But but we didn't really know her, so there were no conversations around it. Uh, it, it bothered us because, um, you know, like I said, we just didn't have conversations about it. And it wasn't an open conversation in the 60s and 70s like it is now. And so we were embarrassed by it. And it took it took a long time and finally reconnecting with my mother to, you know, accept her and love her and for who she is. And we love her partner. Her partner finally passed away, but we were all very close for about the last 15 years of their lives. Huge. Uh, How did your relationship with your father develop? Well, (laughs) that's an interesting relationship. He, you know, I always considered him my father. And although, 
you know, we were afraid of him. He was, he was kind of a scary guy. He was also, he, I know he loved us in his own way and he, um, he just wasn't a real warm, fuzzy person, but I think he tried his best given what he had. Uh, when I was 34 years old, however, he broke the news to me that I was not his biological daughter, nor is my little sister. So that kind of changed everything, not because he wasn't my biological father, because he had raised us and he's actually the one that stuck with us, though my mom didn't. So I respected him for that. And there were a lot of other reasons I respect him. He's very, very bright. He's creative. He's talented. He could be fun, but he was also abusive. So it's it's very confusing. But, I, you know, my relationship with him is mostly just fear. But, you know, we we were as close as we could be and as functional as we could be at the time. But then as he got older, his mental illness got much, much more severe. He was bipolar. And I, it kind of got to the point for me to preserve my mental health and my safety. I had to distance myself from him. And so that was hard. I feel like he passed away before he ever passed away because it just, it's just something I had to do to protect myself because he got so scary and so sick. Now that's tough when a person has illnesses like that. And, mm-hmm. but the thing is you could recognize those and, and at the same time, I, I think, although you had a relationship of fear, I, I think through your book, through your standing, you now can forgive him for what he was. Absolutely. And that's what's been so great about having a family like this is, you know, and some are more willing to talk about it than others, but. But for me, it's been important to look into it all and to talk to everybody about what we went through and to write about it. And um, it's just it's made it so that for me and I hope for other people that by doing that, that it takes away the stigma of, you know, having a mental illness and having families with dysfunction because they're out there and some worse than mine. Let's go into now your work with survivors of abuse and dysfunctional families. Can you give us some examples of how you help people? Well, I I used to volunteer for the Utah, um, let's see, it was called the uh, Prevent Child Abuse Utah. So I was on the board of that entity. And I know that it's a um, nonprofit in multiple states, but in Utah, it was um, about educating schools and parents and how to how how to recognize abuse because, you know, and again, it, we were a product of our era, but nobody stepped in. People knew we were neglected and abused, but there were not, you know, the um, reporting agencies back then. I don't believe them. Plus, it was just, you know, uh, people just didn't intervene in other people's lives. So to me, it's important to get involved in educating families and schools and churches or whomever in recognizing the abuse and actually making the proper calls and reporting and reaching out to these kids to see what kind of help they need. Yeah. You know, I I think a lot of this has gone under the carpet for a number of years. So why do you think churches, neighbors, families, et cetera, have not really come forward about this? It is a definitely a huge problem in all of those uh, organizations. It's just really saddening. You, you read about it every day. I think it's, uh, 
I think there, you know, it's just such a culture of living in denial and pretending that everything's perfect. In my experience with my religion, it was a constant teaching that you strive to be perfect. And the only way to get into the highest kingdom of glory is to, you know, treat your body and your home and other people like temples. And, you know, uh, it's, it's just, there's so much striving for perfection and no excuses for sinning. And I think it's just um, a culture of living in denial and not talking about these things and not, and want, and wanting to look and appear perfect. And at least like you're pursuing perfection. Yeah, I I think that's true. And so you wouldn't report something because it would be admitting yourself that you're not perfect. Right. Right. And it's a society where they protect, they protect each other too, you know, and um, one of my, one of my big things that I have a hard time with, with the LDS church is, you know, the, the priesthood is, it's like a good old boy network. So the men protect each other in that. And they're kind of, you know, got the highest roles in all the church, church offices and they protect each other. And it's just really disheartening to, see that happening just even currently it's been in the news well we've seen other organizations like the christian church recently have to be owned up to by its uh problems that it's had over the years with abuse etc and mm-hmm. there has been now a, a certainly a, a reconnoiting with that a a bringing out of that uh which was hidden for years right right and still is, yes, it's, it's very disheartening. And, you know, I know with, with the religion that I was raised in, they have a system and it, and it's still current to this day that they don't report sexual abuse, rape, whatever to law officials. It's always kept internal and it's supposed to be kept internal until it gets to the point where maybe there's multiple infractions or whatever, and then maybe it'll get reported. But, For the most part, they try to keep all that internal and work through it without going to appropriate law officials. Now that you've come through this journey, have you come 180 degrees and and can come to a point that you can say, look, this has happened. I am now uh, a grown person. I can help others because of my my problems that I've had along the way. Yes, I, I think I have. I uh, I had to forgive those who I felt like betrayed me and that I betrayed in order for me to move forward in my journey in life. And it's so important for me to be happy and to break the cycle of abuse of abuse for my kids and my grandkids that for me to move forward, I had to forgive those people in my life and myself. And I, I had a lot of forgiving to do of myself for the you know, the people that I had let down. And um, I think it's the only way to move forward. And, and I'm just so grateful that, that I um, have the ability to kind of live open heartedly and love and I'm excited about the future. And I feel like, you know, everybody, everybody has issues within their family, but if we can talk about them and you know, not judge and misplace any anger and then forgive people, then 
we can all move forward. Excellent. So what's in the future for you? What do you see uh, that you can do more or want to do more? I'd like to continue to volunteer now that I've got the book finished and I'm kind of working on promotions. That's taken up a great deal of my time, but I would like to continue to volunteer in uh, entities of, you know, women's shelters, um, child abuse programs to help advocate for victims that don't have the resources that um, maybe need some guidance. I'm going to continue to look for avenues to do that. That That's rather important. And I think having a plan for the future is part of what you need to do as well. So this book, this show is called the how to live a fantastic show life show. How, how do you live a fantastic life now? How do you live every day? That's a great question. I think about this every day and I, um, I have, I don't have a problem with lots of hobbies. I'm a very, I like, I'm interested in a lot of things. So for me, it's all about finding those things that give me joy and happiness. And my number one hobby and thing that brings me joy is to spend time with my husband and my family. And we've got a big family and they, I'm lucky they all live fairly close. So we see each other often. And I love to golf and hike. I love the outdoors. To me, my higher power is mother nature. So if I'm outside, I've got a big smile on my face. That brings me joy. And I've also had to really focus on living in the present because of all the chaos in my life. I didn't always do that. (laughs) So it's been a practice of mindfulness and yoga and meditation and just a a journey of gratitude. Well, and, and you also shared with me just before we came online that you were able to travel in Canada from mm-hmm. Vancouver all the way to Toronto by the Rocky Mountain Express. I'm sure mm-hmm. travel has more of this in store for you, too. Absolutely. Yes. Travel is something I didn't really have the luxury of doing when I was younger. Our travel trips as a family when I was young were camping trips, which was fun. And I still love to camp, but there were 10 of us. So we didn't have money to travel. And then when I was a young mother and having children, I didn't have the time to travel. So I feel like now that I'm in my 60s, I've got maybe, hopefully, if I'm lucky, 20 years to get all the travel in (laughs) that I want to. So my husband and I have a bucket list, and we're just checking things off one at a time. And we've been to Europe. We've been to, you know, the Bahamas. We've been all over the U.S. Uh, We plan, we're planning a trip to Africa for next fall. So we've got a big travel list ahead of us, and we, we enjoy that together. Well, that's huge. And and I think, you know, having things that you're looking forward to makes each day really an amazing day. I agree. I agree. It's fun to have that to look forward to and plan. Yeah. If you if you don't have some of them to look forward to, it becomes something that is just a, a whole hum sort of day. But if you look at every day as something that there's something amazing around the corner, I, I think a person can really enjoy that a lot more. I agree. I couldn't agree more. So we're getting close to the end of our time together here. How can people find out more about your world and maybe more about your book? Okay. Well, I have a website. It's www.dianaragsdale.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. 
my Instagram for everybody. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's D I A N A R A G S D A L E Diana Ragsdale. Excellent. And are you uh, on uh, the other social media under your name as well? I am. It's, it's actually, I've got a little bit of a different handle on both social media platforms. Where's my little sticky? Um, I always forget these. My Instagram is at Diana Ragsdale author.com. And my Facebook handle is at loose cannons memoir.com. Excellent. Well, I hope everybody has a chance to check you out and has a chance to look at your perspectives on life and has a chance to learn more about you. And if they have uh, difficulties in the spheres that they, that we talked about, I hope they can get in touch with you because you have so much to offer. I would love that. I love to have conversations about any of this stuff. So I'm very approachable and I would love any, any um, contact people want to make. Excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to check out my website as well. Dr. D-R-A-L-L-E-N, Lyka, L-Y-C-K-A dot com. And if you need a professional speaker or if you need some help in coaching, I'm there to help you too. Check out my website, Dr. A-L-L-E-N, Lyka, L-Y-C-K-A dot com. Find everything right there. Looking forward to helping you. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.